Right, let's stand up and give God some praise this morning. I was glad when they said it to me, let me go into the house of the Lord and praise him. I don't know about you, but I was glad to be here this morning. Glad to be with, the, with other believers worshiping my king, worshiping my Lord in the house of the Lord. Amen.
Surely glad he's in this place. Amen. Walking around these walls. And I thought by now they'd fall. But you have never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never felt me yet. Oh, let's sing that again Walking around Thought by now they'd fall, but you have never failed. Waiting for change to come, knowing the battles. For you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my Confidence, you never fail. 
fulfill me. And I never will forget that you never fail me. Thank you, Father, for never failing us, never leaving us nor forsaking us. God, when we fall away from you and we turn and do go our own way, Father, you don't leave us. You pursue us. You pursue us to bring us back to you. Do it again, Father. Do it again, Father. Do it again, Lord. Oh, yeah. I've seen mountains move, Father. I've seen things that, that, that shouldn't happen happen. I've seen miracles. I've seen cancer disappear. I've seen, oh, so many healings. I've seen them with my own eyes. Oh, do it again, Father. Don't give up. If you're in here in this place this morning, don't give up. Your miracle is right around the corner. Don't give up. He'll do it again. He's done it before. He'll do it again. It might not always be the same exact way that he did it before. Don't put him in that box. Just say, Father, have your way. And let him, let him move. Oh, I've seen you move. You move the mountains, and I believe I see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way, and I believe I see you do it again. I've seen.
steel in your hands and this is my confidence you've never failed me yet and I never will forget that you've never failed me Up 
And the praise is yours. And the praise is yours. You're the one we bow before. Reigning over us as we lift you up. You will reign forevermore. And the praise is yours. And the praise is yours. You're the one we bow before. Reigning over us as we lift you up. You reign forevermore. It all revolves around your throne. Who can know your glory? So high above, yet staying for us. You alone It all revolves. It all revolves around your throne. Who can know your glory? So high above, yet slain for us, you alone. And the praise is yours, and the praise is yours. You're the one we bow before, reigning over us as we lift you up. You will reign forevermore. And is to come, God of heaven, forever crowned, exalted.
Thank you, Father, that all power in heaven and earth was given unto your Son after his death and burial and resurrection. It was complete. It was finished. It was finalized. The enemy was defeated, and he now reigns victorious. And we lift our voices this morning with the saints who have gone before 
and those who stand around the throne. And we sing glory and praise. Oh, glory and praise. Come on, church, one more time. Oh, power and strength. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Glory and praise. Power and strength. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Do it again. Glory. Come on. Oh, glory and praise. Power and strength. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Glory and praise. Power and strength. And strength, worthy is the Lamb of God. Oh, you're worthy, Lord. Glory and praise, power and strength, worthy is the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, there's there's power just in that last word there. Hallelujah. There's power in it. I remember years ago I heard John Osteen tell a story. He got burned out in the ministry, went into the business world there in Houston, Texas years ago. He got on an elevator full of business people going up. I forgot which floor. And he said, all the profanity and the swearing and everything that was going on in that elevator, he said he, he, he wasn't used to that. And he heard all, he was sitting in the back of the, standing in the back of the elevator. And one by, people kept getting on and they just talking and all this going back and forth and he couldn't take it anymore. In the back of the elevator, he just went, Hallelujah! He said, the whole elevator just shut up. And on the next floor, every person got off. And there's like nine other buttons still lit up. That it wasn't the floor they were getting off at. But he said, I learned something right there. There's power in the believer's words in this world. And we sing it, you know, in a song, hallelujah. But it there's more to it than that it's more than just a word that somebody threw in a line on a song it it, it, it expresses it's to me it's like just saying hallelujah it, it, it it's an expression of what God who God is and what he's doing and what he's done and what he's going to do and who he is I mean there's none like him none like him this week, I, I spent several hours with people in hospitals in critical situations and then a funeral with family that needed to know the Lord. And, and I just kept expressing the hope that we have through the Word.
because of the word. And I kept walking out of those places saying, thank you, Father, that I know that word is real. It's, I'm not looking for a, something somewhere that might work. I know what there is. And we're singing that song, glory and praise, power. I mean, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We know the one who's in control. Somebody here this morning, you need to hear that. You may think that your life has been spinning out of control, and it may have been. But when Christ comes into your life, he brings order. And sometimes it's in the slowing down process that things seem a little more confusing. But God is in control. I want to tell you, God is in control. I want to take a moment right now to pray. I just feel a, a burden right now to pray for people. You know God. You know the Lord. You know Him. And yet you've been battling with some doubts, some questions, and they're all real. But I want to pray for you right now. I spoke to this person in the hospital that was from out of town, another part of the state. When I went to walk out, I looked back in, the, in her eyes and I saw the anxiety. A strong believer in the Lord, but I saw it in her eyes. And the Holy Spirit said, don't leave yet. Go over and tell her this. I've got things under control. You may not understand the wherefores and the therefores, but I'm working them out. That's what his word says. He works all things together for the good of them who love God and are called according to his purpose. He's working things out according to his purpose for your life. From your vantage point, you're thinking, I, I don't see it. But this is a moment of faith right now. And you're... You're here and you'd say, Pastor, I'm hearing your words and I believe what God has said. But pray for me. Pray for me in the situation, circumstance we're facing. Just lift your hand right now and pray for me. I don't need to know the details. Thank you. Thank you. All over this room. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you. But the Spirit of God is hovering over this place. We just pray right now for every one of them. Father, from their vantage point, they're trying to understand. And God, your ways are so much higher than ours that even if you would spell it out for us, we still couldn't understand it. And so, Father, right now, we just pray that the peace of God rule their hearts. Let the peace of God govern their thoughts. Let the peace of God rest on them right now. And we say, Lord, all glory and praise strength be unto you 
the Lamb of God. Power and strength, worthy is the Peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, but as only He can give. He gives it right now. In Jesus' name, all across this place. Sing hallelujah. Come on. Release it right now. The the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. 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 Worthy is the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Father. Oh, oh. hallelujah. And worthy is the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the peace that passes to moments of understanding beyond anything we can imagine. Or try to understand or discern, Lord, we can rest in your love. Rest in your love for us. We praise you, Father. Now, Holy Spirit, let your purpose and plan, let the Father's purpose and plan be brought forth in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Won't you just turn and greet maybe two or three people next to you? If you don't want... Just wave at them if you want or whatever. That's fine. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning. Glad you're here at Life Church. Glory to God. I want to make uh, just a couple quick announcements uh, for you. There's a number of items out on the table, uh, sign-up sheets for different things out on the table out front. Please take a moment on your way out and look at those. Um, the first of the month, uh, first Sunday of the month, we always have an emphasis uh, on our missions program, missions uh, giving and missions area. And this month, uh, we've added uh, another missionary or missions project to our giving and we thank you first of all for your faithfulness in giving and and last month for the bgmc and we'll have those totals for you uh later on uh this week and uh because money's still coming in and uh so anyway but um when dr simpabwe was here uh this time last uh year 
Um, he mentioned several different uh, aspects of the ministry that they're involved in, and one of them is called the 300. Um, and he told us a story of how in certain countries where there have been churches established, because of government regulations, they shut down the churches if the ministers or the pastors did not have an accredited diploma from a Bible college or university or whatever. And so because of that, they had hundreds of churches closed, and he named several countries. And so they started what is called the 300, and they, they've started an online Bible college, um, and they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students who have signed up. Now, in each country, the cost is different. But the average cost, I went and looked at the average cost. Some months, it's, some places, it's $20, $25 a month. Some it's $100, $125 a month. But basically, there are scholarships that they, they, they offer through giving from churches like ours of $50 a month that will enable a student to be taught, trained, and receive an accredited diploma. And with it, they can go back into those countries where churches have been shut down, uh, and they're able to go back in and reopen or establish new churches because of that. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's an incredible thing, the fact that there were churches and, and government shut them down. Um, a lot of them did it because there was uh, uh, people in it, maybe for the wrong reasons, and were, you know, uh, taking advantage of people. But others, it was just um, a heavy hand of government. And so they've already had their uh, one or two graduating classes, and those individuals have gone back in and reopened churches. And so imagine having been a part of a church, having it shut down, and you can't get together, you can't meet because there's not a pastor there. And they have to have a diploma. Well, many of these countries, they don't make $25, $35, $40, $50 a month. But that was what they need. And so we're picking up three scholarships and, uh, and to start with. And so out of our missions budget, we'll start giving $50 a month times three towards students and they will choose those students who they are that are need that need that that uh, financial need so anyway i wanted to bring that focus to you and let you know that we're doing more than just individual missionaries and projects and all kinds of things we're raising up another generation and training them right where they are so that they can go into their country and to back into their villages and their towns and reestablish centers where the gospel can be preached amen how many of you think that's a worthy cause and so uh i told i told uh, them yesterday i told lisa that yet uh, day before yesterday we're, we're going to start with three but in my mind i've got i got the idea of six and at least six and then i thought well 12 was what jesus started with you know but i mean so anyway we'll see how that goes right Amen. So anyway, that's where part of your missions goes. So uh, when you give online, whether it's uh, or you give uh, using an envelope, and we put that slide up there, please. Um, we have offering boxes in the back. 
and um, there are envelopes on the back of the chairs. There's envelopes on top of the boxes. You can use those envelopes for your ties. You can use them also for missions. We have a special missions envelope on the first part of the month also. They're out on the table um, by the um, artwork on the wall with the whole world on it. You can pick those up for specifically or just market missions. There's a place on the envelope that says missions. There's a place on the tithe, uh, on the Tithely app. There's a drop-down arrow that has a number of categories, and one of them is missions. And uh, that's how I give, using it that way. Um, but if you market missions, 100% of all of it goes to missions. We don't hold it back. And um, so those missionaries and those projects that we support, um, they, they are so thankful for our faithfulness in giving. And I don't know about you. I've said it before. We have to give. We have to go. Two-thirds of God's name is go. So we got to go. And we need someone to go for us when we can't go. So anyway, you can text to give. The number is up on the screen. You can use the app. You can use our website. Or you can use an envelope. And so we thank you for that. I'm reading from Colossians chapter 2. Uh, verse 16 and 17, we've been reading this, these two verses for the last uh, five weeks. And we have probably one more week on this series. And it says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to the religious festival, a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And this week, it's the second part of the one I did last week on the Feast of Tabernacles. And this one is Jesus and the Feast of Tabernacles. I, in other words, these, these feasts that we're talking about, the Jewish feasts, the Jewish holidays, that we call them holidays, but they're festivals unto God. God established them all. And the Feast of Tabernacles is the last of the seven. In fact, it began this past Friday evening in Israel and will last for seven days. And then there will be a final day, which next week I'll be talking about the eighth day, the final day, and uh, what the significance of it is. But they are prophetic. In other words, they were a picture of that which was to come. And that's what Paul's writing here. He's saying, he said, regarding all these things about eating and drinking and new moons and Sabbaths and all of those things, he said they were just a picture of those things which were to come, but they're now fulfilled in who Jesus Christ is and in his coming. So he tells us that very fact. And so I think it's important not only to understand the, uh, from the Jewish perspective what the festival is about, but from the New Testament and, and how Jesus, when he walked on earth, he actually had a um, vital um, part of the Feast of Tabernacles during his earthly ministry. And so um, I want to look at these seven feasts real quick. And this, I gave you this like at the very beginning. If you'll notice that there are 
four feasts that are in the spring, spring holidays. You have Passover, unleavened bread, you have the first fruits, and Pentecost. And then you skip several months and you go into the fall holidays and you have the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. Four are in the spring, three are in the fall. Leviticus chapter 23 and 40 says, concerning the Feast of Tabernacles, which they are now celebrating, um, it says, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And you remember, if you were here last week, if you weren't, I'll just really recap it real fast. Um, why, why, did they, God, why did God instruct them to rejoice? If you remember, Moses had gone up on the mountain. He was gone 40 days. When he came down, they had created the golden calf and sinned against God. And he went up to make atonement to see if God would atone for their sins, forgive them of their sins. And 40 days later, he comes back down and he says, God has, made, has forgiven your sins. Rejoice. And then he says, not only that, he, he's not only just forgiven you. It's not like he forgave you and just dropped you in the middle of nowhere. God has given me the plans that he now wants to dwell among us. And he gave him the plans for the, for the tabernacle. And, um, and so they began to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. But they were to rejoice because God had forgiven them. But not only just forgiven them, he'd gone the extra mile and that he wanted to dwell among them. So unlike many of the other festivals, we think of festivals as fun times, food, excitement, all that kind of thing. These festivals, the Bible says, were unto God. They were serious festivals. They were moments of seriousness. Uh, but this last festival, it was a time of rejoicing. In fact, I talked about the fact that God commanded them to rejoice for seven days. In fact, no whining, no complaining, no nothing. And, you know, so uh, let's try it for the rest of the day. See how you do with that. Imagine a whole week of you can't complain. But, but God gave them a motivation to rejoice. You're not going to die he ain't going to take you out because of the atrocity of your sin. And I want to come live among you. Yeah. And that's, that's a great reason to be rejoicing. And so we ended last week with the revelation that the Feast of Tabernacles literally shows us, reveals to us that God's ultimate desire is to dwell among his people. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one dot, one mark will pass from the law until all be fulfilled. <laughs> Jesus came to fulfill what God established in the Old Testament including these special feast days. And I want to pick up from this and look at the life of Jesus and, and see some application that when we read it, we're probably reading it and not understanding the context in which 
he's saying these things. And when we do, it adds even more emphasis and even more impact into our lives. Biblical scholars, many of them believe that Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, let's go back. What is the Feast of Tabernacles? Remember, they had to make a, a structure that was at least three walls. It had to be temporary. It had to be where it gave shade, but the, that the roof was open enough that at nighttime they could gaze out and see the wonders of heaven and their thoughts would be about God. And the purpose was to give thanks for God sparing them, but also that the structure was to remind them that God des desired to dwell among them, okay? And so it's the idea of tabernacle or dwelling. And so many biblical scholars believe that Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles. And there are several pieces of historical evidence and things in the scripture that kind of point to that. And I just want to look at a few of them because I think that it gives us a different or maybe a, a deeper perspective on it. The first thing is that the shepherds were in the fields when Jesus was born. Now this may pop a few people's, burst a few people's bubbles about the birth of Christ. Uh, he was not born in December 25th. I'm sorry that he just wasn't. Now the church has designated that date as a date of remembrance. That's okay. Some people think it's a sin to even do that, but I think at least we have a day that we recognize the birth of Jesus Christ when he came into the world. But the Mishnah, which is the written publication of oral tradition, and so some, as as the, the rabbis of old and the prophets of old would, would say certain things, they would write those things down, record those, and they write and state that because of the severeness of winter weather in Israel, the flocks around Bethlehem would normally be brought into a protect, protective corral called the sheepfold. In fact, you can go back and read in John's gospel, he actually talks about that. The, the pool of Bethesda was near the place called the sheepfold, and uh, where, where Jesus healed the man who had been uh, lame for 38 years sitting around the pool of Bethesda, and it mentions the sheepfold. And so they would bring their flocks in from about November through February. And so it's with this neck, that understanding that, so that if they were out in the field, it obviously wasn't November, December, January, or February, okay? So that means it had to have been in the fall or in the spring. And when you, but when we add it to the next piece of information, we, we, can, we can really dial in the time that of Jesus' birth. And that deals with the time of Jesus' conception. Now, I know some people are thinking, what? I've never heard pastor talk about the day Jesus was created, you know, that he was he created in the womb of Mary. But here, it's not a date, but it's the season. I want you to look at this. We can date the conception or the season or around the time of when Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb from Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist, okay? 
if you remember the story, Zechariah was serving in the temple when God sent the angel Gabriel to him that told him he would be the father of a son and his name was to be John. And you, if you don't know the, script, the story, you can go and read the scripture about it. But he was like, how can this be? You know, I'm an old guy and, and my wife's old and everything else. And Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel who stands in the midst of God and I came with this message. And because of this, from this point on, you'll not speak another word until the child is born. And, um, but getting back to the time of conception of Christ, when we look at the historical biblical records, when Zechariah, who was part of the eighth division of priests, would have been serving, John the Baptist would have been born around Passover. The reason we know that is it says because when his time of serving was done, he went home and his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant with child. And we know she hid it. The Bible says she hid her pregnancy for five months. I guess fearful to talk about it. And then in the sixth month, the Bible says that an angel comes to Mary and tells her that Elizabeth is now in her sixth month of pregnancy. And so Mary, having received the word from the angel that she was to conceive, now goes and visits Elizabeth. And, and, and who is in beginning or somewhere in her sixth month. So we can know that John, uh, from his time, that John the Baptist was born around Passover, which would have made the birth of Christ during the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? I don't know, some of you are going, what's that got to do with anything? Well, let's go on and look at something else the scripture says. The angel gives an announcement. Everything God does is with purpose. We can either look at things on the, soup, on the surface and just glean the surface of it, or we can look and see that when we see the depth of what God has done and why he does it that way, we just, you know, you, to just slap right in the face like, whoa, God is incredible. <clears throat> the angel's announcement. When the angel announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds that were in the field, so it wasn't December, they used tabernacle terminology. I want to show you this. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Okay. If you remember when we first started talking about the, 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 the festivals, many of them have mutual names, I mean, or different names. In other words, they have a, a, their given name, like the Feast of Trumpets or the Feast of um, First Fruits or the Feast of Tabernacles. But they have other names that are also associated to them. And I, I liken it to the fact that I have my given name that's on my birth certificate. It's Robert Henry Zanini. 
It originally had a junior, but my dad tore up my birth certificate because he said, I'm not going to have a son who people are going to call junior. <laughs> my name's exactly the same as my father's. There's just no junior. I always wonder why he didn't put the second, you know, or something like that, you know. But anyway, but that's my, that's my given name, right? And when I was a child, if I heard my name, Robert Henry Zanini, I knew I was probably not going to live to see my next birthday because <laughs> I had done something wrong. That was my given name. I remember my friends in about seventh grade turned to me, Henry? I said, don't you even think about calling me Henry. I'll knock your block off, you know. And uh, so um, that's my given name. But when I was a child, my parents, my mom, my parents called me Bobby. I remember my first day in first grade, they had to call my mother. I'm the oldest of seven kids, but they had to call my mom. Because when they brought us into the classroom, introduced me to my teacher, I remember her name, Mrs. Hill. And I remember they introduced it. They said, your names are on the front of your desk. Go find your name. Every kid got a desk but me. Because there was not one in there that said Bobby. There was one that said Robert. I said, that's not my name. My name is Bobby. And they said, no, that's your name. Your mother wrote it down that way. I said, she did not. I argued with them. That's not my name. My mother would not change my name. My name is Bobby. They had to call her and, and console me. I, did not, I didn't hear a thing that teacher said that day because I just didn't understand why my name got changed. <laughs> but now when I introduce myself to people, unless it's a formal situation, like... I just say, my name's Bob. It's spelled the same forward and backwards. Make it easy. Now, I'm still the same person, right? And, and, and then when I was growing up for a, a period of time, my dad would call me Bubba. I don't know why. We didn't live in the South. We were, we were Yankees. We were Northerners, you know. But he'd say, way to go, Bubba. It was one of the few times I heard an affirmation, and I was Bubba, you know, I was calling a lot of other names with a name like Zanini growing up, you know, and, and we won't go into that. But the point is, I had all these names that were associated with me, but they were all about me. They identified me. And so a lot of the feasts had their major title, but they also had other titles that went to them. And I showed you uh, several of them when we, we began studying this. Well, the Feast of Tabernacles is the last of the seven feasts, but it is also called the, the season of our joy. I don't know how they came up with that, but they come up with it. Well, the idea is that it was a feast, that God's not going to kill them, that God's going to dwell among them, that they're, given, they're rejoicing because it's the end of the harvest season. They've had a bountiful harvest so they're joyful. And God said you have to rejoice for seven days. So they're, they're not in a downer. There'd be music, there'd be food, there'd be celebrating, all of those things. So it's also known as the season of our joy. Hence, the angels 
tiding, good tidings of great joy. But guess what? It's also known as the Feast of the Nations. The Feast of Nations, which again goes back to the words of the angel, which will be to all people. And I'll talk about the Feast of Nations in just a little bit. Number four, the Bible says that the Word became flesh. I, I freak people out sometimes when I say, God did not have a son until Jesus was born. And they look at me and go, what? No. I said, but the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word became flesh. And the flesh of that, that man dwelt among us. And it was the angel who told Mary that his name shall be called Yeshua, which we translate as Jesus. <clears throat> the Word always was. In the beginning was the Word. All things were created by the Word. So in the beginning there was the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. But the Word became flesh. Now, what's interesting to me at least about that is if Christ was born around the Feast of Tabernacles, John, in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and made his dwelling or tabernacle among us. John recognizes that Christ came to fulfill even the Feast of Tabernacles. And he says, and he became flesh that he might dwell among us. Here's another one. Probably people you think it's crazy but it deals with the circumcision of Jesus Christ. And now people are thinking, oh man, this is weird. This is, I've never heard stuff like this. Well, you're not reading your Bible. Eight days after the birth of Jesus, any male child, according to the Abrahamic covenant, he would be circumcised. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, look what it says. When eight days had passed and the child was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So if Jesus was born in the Feast of Tabernacles, say if he was born on the first day, I, I can't prove this, but knowing how God works, I would not be shocked. That would mean that on the eighth day, he was circumcised. And the Feast of Tabernacles was seven days, which started on a Sabbath. And then it actually completed itself on the eighth day, which we're going to talk about next week, which was also a Sabbath. And what does the Sabbath stand for? Rest. It was a day of rest. Resting from our labors. Resting and trusting God. And God would provide for all of us. So think about it. If Christ was born on the first day of the feast, rest. He came to bring rest. He came to bring salvation. And then his circumcision would be on the eighth day. 
and uh, which is known as Shemini Azaret, which means the time of our happiness. Now, in the Feast of Tabernacles, is seven days long. There are some things that God ordained to take place. Not going to go into great detail about them, but I want you to understand something about that. And on the sixth, the sixth thing deals with the water libation ceremony. That's a word we don't use much in our language, everyday language, libation. Um, but this was the pinnacle of the Feast of Tabernacles was the water libation ceremony, okay? In the temple, and I'm going to put a model up for you so that you could see it, there was the court of women, okay? And there were balconies that surrounded it. I've put some arrows in there so that you can see where it's at. I'll back it up. You can see one one's over here. The court of women was right in that area where the arrow is pointing, and then there were balconies in that area, and I've pointed those out for you. Within the courtyard area, there were four 75-foot-tall uh, candlesticks, or like, type, like a menorah-type thing, with four large bowls on top of each one. I don't know if you can see that drawing there, but it's 75 feet tall, four large bowls on top of each one. And they would take old priestly garments and they would cut them up and tie them together to use as wicks to light these giant bowls, okay? And then they would pour seven gallons of, uh, a seven-gallon bucket of oil into them. A person had to climb up there. And once these four giant 75-foot candlesticks with bowls, full of gallons and gallons of oil were lit. You can imagine that the history tells us that, 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 that they could be seen 20 to 30 miles away. Now Jerusalem sits on, a high, on high ground, and during the Feast of Tabernacles especially, the Jews spoke of the temple as being the light of the world. And it was during the Feast of Tabernacles that John records for us what Jesus told the people. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, it's in the setting of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, the water libation ceremony would begin with a priest drawing water from the pool of Siloam in a gold pitcher that held about one and a half pints of water, okay? Now, we've heard of the pool of Siloam before in reading the Bible. What's interesting is the pool of Siloam actually received its water from the, uh, the Gion Spring, which is a natural water source. So in other words, the pool, water would come from this natural spring, was siphoned off and made a pool. And, and, but the Gion Spring was known as a natural spring, a natural water source, and the Jews understood that to mean it was living water, or it was water suitable 
for the purification rites, okay? It couldn't come from water that had gathered from just rain in a bucket or something like that. It had to flow from a spring that it was just natural. The source was the spring itself, okay? And, and the concept of living water is critical for us in understanding the significance of the libation water ceremony that's done during the Feast of Tabernacles. Living water had to come directly from God. Uh, in other words, it had to be pure. It had to be natural source. And it was used for all the ordinances and rituals requiring water that was given in the law of Moses. And we're going to see the application here in just a moment. And so the priest would go down. There would be a, a group of individuals and priests that would go with the priest. And he would scoop, they would pour, put water in this gold um, pitcher that was about one and a half pints of water. And then there would be a procession of men and women that accompanied the priest through the south gate of the temple and, and understanding that there are four sides to the city and there were different gates that are there and they, it was called the water gate and so they would accompany the priest with this water and they would walk back up to the city through the gate and up to the altar, the ramp of the altar where the sacrifice was to be offered. And if you remember that during the Feast of Tabernacles, the people had to gather two things, and the, the lulav and the, and the etrog. Remember the, the, the lemon type of fruit and, and the different pieces like willow and things like that that were wrapped together? And the procession, the people would have it. Here's a picture of, that recently was uh, where they reenacted what, was, what goes on. And the people are carrying these uh, branches, these palm branches and willow branches and things like that. And they'd be coming back with the, them and they'd be singing the Psalms of 113 through 118. These are considered to be messianic um, Psalms that were written for when Messiah comes. And the singing would often be accompanied or would, would actually be accompanied by trumpet blasts and, and reed flutes, okay? So they go down to get the water. They put it in this little pitcher. They start walking back. The people are coming back. They're waving branches and the fruit, and they're singing, and they're rejoicing, and then there's the blast of the trumpets that's all going on. And one of the verses that's quoted comes from Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3 that says, Therefore, with joy shall you draw waters from the wells of salvation. And the word Yeshua in Hebrew means salvation. So it, it's, it's a fulfillment or a shadow of the fact that he's saying that this prophetic word of Isaiah, with joy you'll draw waters from Yeshua, Messiah. He will bring living water to you. And in Psalms 118, that's also sung during this period of time, 118 verse 25, it reads, O Lord, save us. And the people would cry out as, as part of this song, O Lord, save us. And, and it, is, it is used at the Feast of Tabernacles as with a messianic emphasis. In other words, the Jews who do it are looking for Messiah. This is why 
when Jesus um, uh, was greeted by crowds, people would sing, were shouting, Hosanna, uh, which is, means save now. In, in Hebrew, it would be and 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 uh, they'd be waving palm branches and triumphal entry because they viewed him as the Messiah King who was going to deliver them from their aggressors. They hailed him with this messianic imagery of palm branches from the Feast of Tabernacles. But according to John's Gospel, chapter seven, Jesus, for a fact, attended the Feast of Tabernacles. In verses 37, 38, and 39. But we'll just look at a couple of them right here. Look what it says, the first part of verse 37. On the last day. On the last day of what? On the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. How long was the Feast of Tabernacles? Seven days, right? On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. Now see, we would read that and we'd probably just skip right past that little phrase, that great day of the feast. But there's a meaning behind that. The seventh day of the festival is called Hoshana Rabbah. It means the great Hosanna. And during the water uh, libation celebration, during those seven days, that priest would go down with a crowd of people He'd draw water, they'd ascend back up again, they'd be waving the branches, and they'd be singing the Messianic Psalms, and the priest would ascend to the altar, and over the sacrifice, he would pour the water, and he would pour wine, and he would pour the offering out onto the sacrifice. But before doing so, he would circle around the altar one time each day. Where have we heard something like that before? Jericho. What did Jericho represent? The enemy. An impenetrable fortress. Right? Some of you are jumping ahead of me. I can see it already. Your eyes are lighting up going, ooh. Every day, they take the water. The priest would walk around the altar one time. And then he'd ascend and he'd pour it out on the sacrifice that was to be offered that day. But on the last day, the seventh day, he would not circle the altar one time. Guess how many times he would circle it? Oh, you're smart. Look at your neighbor and go, I am smart. Yeah. The priest would circle the altar seven times. And with the willows that were cut from the riverbank and the priests and the people that followed would wave them, they would lay, get this, they would lay those willows against the altar forming a sukkot, just like the people had to build in which they had stayed for a week. It was a canopy with drooping branches over the altar. Just like that they made for themselves, they laid over the altar for Messiah. 
And then the priest would pour the water from the pitcher into the western half of an open drained silver bowl on the south side of the altar, and he would pour wine from a silver pitcher into the eastern half of that bowl. Now this is at the height of the week-long festival. In other words, in this moment, as it's getting ready to take place, everybody is paying attention. Everybody is watching. In other words, this, probably not a good analogy, but I couldn't think of anything else. This would be like, well, no, I won't say it that way. This would be like the last play of the Super Bowl. And what happens in this play determines the outcome of the game. So everybody's watching. Everybody's listening. All eyes are focused. And it's in this context that Jesus cried out among the worshipers that were gathered there in the temple. In John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, it says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, understand that in, in, in the, te- the, the tradition of that day, the, the rabbis would sit when they would teach. They would sit while they taught. But Jesus... Imagine all the focus is about to happen right over in this area. Jesus stands up in the crowd. They'd been looking for him because they heard he was coming. And the Bible says he snuck in without them knowing he was there. And on the last day, he waits to the last day. He doesn't do it on the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth day. He waits to the last moment when the priest is about to do his big thing and everybody's going to let out a hallelujah, hosanna. And Jesus stands up and he says on the great, he says he, and he's waiting and he begins before they could pour anything out, do anything, he said, I am the living water. If anyone believes in me, out of their belly, out of his heart, shall flow rivers of living water. In other words, Jesus stands up and he says to the crowd, that is not going to save you. That is not going to wash your sins away. That 
tradition. That thing is may, may be in the law, but it will not save you. I am the living water. If anyone thirsts and comes to me, they will thirst no more. I am the light of the world. There is no darkness in the one who believes in me. He's, up, he's, he's saying, I'm the answer to your prayers. I am the Messiah. I can save you now so that you never thirst again. It's not the first time he said it because in John chapter 4, he meets the Samaritan woman and he asks for a drink of water and she says, I'm a Samaritan and a woman, who are you to ask me for water? He said, woman, if you knew who it was that was asking, you'd ask for living water and you'd never thirst again. See, that was his message. That was his message. He said, I have come to take the burden of sin away. I have take, come to take the weariness away. I have come to give you purpose in life. He who believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then there's this one, one of the part of the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's the Feast of the Nations. On Yom Kippur, which was five days before last Friday, it's the Holy Day, it's the Day of Atonement. Israel was required on that day to offer up offerings for atonement for the sins of Israel. And five days later, with atonement for their lives complete for another year. The priests were told to now make atonement for the 70 nations that existed at that time. And I don't have time to go through it all, but to see, but I can tell you this, that five times more sacrifices were offered and the Feast of Tabernacles for the nations of the world than are offered for the Jews on Passover. And it's the reason why of all the sacrifices, the multiples of sacrifices of different animals on each day and flour that was offered on each day, there is one bull offered for all of the 70 nations. Why was that? Because it was God's intent from the beginning to let his creation know that he loved them and desired to redeem them from their sins. Now, think about this in modern day. If the nations realized in that time and day that God chose the Jewish people to send the Messiah, and that they were offering sacrifices of atonement for the sins of every nation, those nations would have never destroyed the Jews and the temple of that day because they would have recognized that that, that was God's choice for their salvation. The Jews had atonement through their sacrifice, but now their priests were offering atonement for the nations of the earth. Is it no wonder that the devil today is using the nations of the earth to destroy the very thing that God has chosen to make atonement for them? 
that it was through Christ, that through the Jewish people, that Jesus Christ was brought into the world to make atonement for the sins of all the nations. And it's the reason that anti-Semitism is rising throughout the world and will continue to increase at an alarming rate. Because the devil hates the Jewish people. He hates Jesus. He hates the church. He hates any follower of Christ. But we need not fear because we've seen through the foreshadow of even the feast that God is in control and that God desires to dwell among his people and nothing is going to stop God from having his way. So let me close. There are six feasts of the seven. The first six are all related to man's sin and our struggle to exist. All six of them. What are they? Unleavened bread, Passover, first fruits, Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement. All of them exist and represent the struggle of us and what God has done to deliver us in the name and through the person of Jesus Christ. The first six were about struggle and sin. But the seventh, the Feast of Tabernacles, is related to rest. It's related to rest. It's the most joyous feast of the year because it looks to the past and celebration of God's faithfulness in the wilderness. It looks to the present in celebration of the hard labor and the, the end of the agricultural cycle, but the harvest that has already come in. And then it looks to the future in celebration of God's promise to return to this earth and provide the world with rest in the form of peace and righteousness and justice. God has clearly stated his desire to dwell among us. See, the, the, the world doesn't understand this because the church doesn't understand it. As a whole, we see God as rules and regulations and duty and service and all of these things instead of seeing a loving God who so cared for us that from the foundations of the earth, he had a plan in place to redeem us back to himself. Jesus told us that he was leaving for a while to prepare a place for us in his father's house. I firmly believe that the Feast of Trumpets is about the trumpet of God sounding and Jesus taking us home to the Father. And I firmly believe that at some point, at some future Feast of Tabernacles, it will be when Christ comes back again and to planet Earth and sets up his kingdom for 1,000 years, sometime after the Battle of Armageddon. And Jesus made it clear that he desires to come and dwell with us now. And this is the point. This is the thing we need to understand. And that is simply this, that Jesus' purpose in coming is to give rest to the weary who are burdened by their sin. To give rest to the weary who are burdened by their sin. He said, all 
who would come. I will give them rest. It hasn't changed, my friends. And the feast is a reminder for us to learn how to rest in him. Rest in his love. Rest in his love for you. Some of you are like me who for years and years I struggled with trying to gain the affirmation of my father. And I transferred that to my heavenly father. And I will never forget the day when I learned that he does not love me because of what I do. He does not love me because of what I can do. He doesn't love me because of where I come from or what my family's pedigree may or may not be. God is love. He is love. And I cannot earn his love because he doesn't turn it off. He didn't turn it off. I don't know about you, but, but there have been times that I, I have failed the Lord. And when he comes and he loves on me, I feel even worse. Because he just loves on me. But he, he's there to tell me, I love you. I've got a purpose for you. You need to give me those things you're dealing with, you're struggling with. Let me take that off of you. And I just really felt this morning that there may be some here today, you've never given Christ your life. I mean, you're still carrying around the weight of your sins, the weight of the penalty of your sins, all of that. Jesus came to remove that and take that off of you. He wants to do that this morning. And then there's some here today. You've given your life to the Lord. But you're struggling to earn the love of the Father. And that's a lie of the devil. That tells you that you have to earn his love. My friend, Jesus, his son, did that on the cross when he paid the price for your sin. And when you believed in him, the Bible says that you were brought into the kingdom of his everlasting son, his eternal son. And therefore, you're a part of the family. You know, when I was growing up, we had so many family members, not just kids and stuff, but when we lived near grandparents and stuff, or uncles and aunts, we'd, they'd come in for big holidays. Or, and then being in the military, my mom a lot of times would invite airmen or over that were away from home. So we always had a lot of people at the holidays. How many of you grew up and they had a children's table? Oh, you know what I'm talking about, right? I don't care if you're the oldest at the children's table. You don't want to be at the children's table. You want to be at the adult table, right? 
Come on. Am I right? I'm hitting, I'm hitting a nerve here, I'm telling you. I was, I was the oldest of seven. I always got at the adult table. Always. And I'd lean back and look at my siblings. <laughs> like that. And I'd just kind of rub it in. Like being, it's not like I could get demoted from being firstborn. <laughs> but I remember when one year there'd be an extra chair at the table. And they would all start squabbling. Do I get to sit at the adult table? I get to sit. And I remember my brother, who's 13 months younger than me. He said, no, it's my turn. And he came over to the table and looked at them like, <laughs> you know. I thought, don't, don't get too smart because next time that chair may be full and you're going back over there, you know. No, why am I saying that? Because I feel like there's some in here the devil's tried to make you feel like you don't have a seat at the Father's table. You go sit over here at this table. And I won't tell you, I won't pray for you because God wants to reveal to you you have a seat at the Father's table. You're not a stranger. And I don't mean this in a wrong way. You're not a stepchild of another marriage and somehow you just happen to show up or whatever. Please understand what I'm saying. He has made a seat for you at the Father's table. <laughs> I can see it in my mind. And he wants you to know that. He wants you to step up. He wants you to get up from that place where the enemies told you, you're lucky you even get in the same room. Never mind, get to sit in, in the presence. No. Some of you just need to get up from where you're at and recognize you have a place at the Father's table. And it's not because you earned it. It's because he set it for you. And he's invited you to take it. And that's where I feel really Holy Spirit moving right now. Some of you dealing with this worthiness issue. Good enough issue. Whether I, I've, I, 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 I've done right or done wrong or whatever. God has a place for you at his table. And I'm... Not here to embarrass you this morning, but if you would be honest and say, Pastor Bob, that's me. And I'm tired of sitting over here and watching what God is doing in everybody else's life. I'm tired. I've I, I believed a lie that I didn't belong at the Father's table, but I, I have a place. I have a right to be there. And today I'm making it known. I will no longer believe that lie that I don't belong. I'm getting up and I'm taking my place at the Father's table. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you boldly just to stand right where you're at. And we're going to pray for you. Who else? Who else? Come on. Come on. Who else? <clears throat> Just going to take a few more seconds and then we're going to pray. 
You have a seat established by the Father at His table. Your name is on it. He hasn't removed your name. He hasn't hidden your name. You have a place. Anyone else? Just stand right where you're at. I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray for you. Thank you. Who else? Who else? Who else? Come on. I feel it in my bones. I feel it in my spirit. There's someone, at least one more. Who else? And then we're just going to pray. Thank you. Thank you. We're getting ready to pray. Anyone else? Okay, church. I want you to keep standing, those of you who are standing. Those of you who know what I'm talking about, what it means to have a place at the Father's table, you know what it is. You remember when you took your place at the Father's table, not because of your, your ingenuity or your smartness or anything like that. You did it because you found out you had an invitation to sit there. You had a right to sit there, and you know what it is, and you know what it means. I want you to just glance around, and if you see someone standing near you, I want you to just move and go put your hand on there right now. I don't want you to speak anything over them. I just want you to go put your hand on them right now. This is, this is a God moment. I'm telling you, I know where I was when God got a hold of me. And said, son, you can't earn my love. And I just broke down crying thinking, then, then what do I have to do? And he said, you already have it. And I said, but how much? He goes, I don't, I can't love and measure because I am love. I pulled off the side of the road in West Monroe, Louisiana and bawled like a baby for like 20 minutes. Because I had a seat at my father's table. And I had acceptance by him. Father, right now, we just pray for those who are standing and those who are Right now, Holy Spirit, speak to their hearts. We come against every lie of the devil. They says they're not worthy enough. They haven't paid the price enough. They'll never be good enough. Father, every lie that he can come up with, we come against it in the name of Jesus. And we cancel that lie out by the truth of your word. The psalmist said, you have spread a table in the wilderness, in the presence of our enemy. God, I picture the devil right now so upset because he's receiving word that there's individuals in this place who have had their eyes open, their spiritual understanding awakened and quickened to them, and they're moving from the child's table to the father's table. And the, the enemies heard that, and we've realized that, God, you've had this table spread in the presence of the enemy, and it's the father's place, it's the father's table, and it's the invitation to come because you desire to dwell among us. You desire to have communion with us. You desire. It's your desire. 
We think it's all about us. It's your desire. It's your invitation. It's you setting the place. And then the word says, come and rest in his love. For he rejoices over you. The Lord rejoices over you. Some of you need to hear that this morning. The Bible says the Lord rejoices over you. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17. The Lord rejoices over you. You probably think the enemy's tried to tell you that all he does is shake his head in disgust. And, 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 and just saying, I just wonder if there's any hope for him at all. No, no, no. God rejoices over you. When you walk out of here today, I want your attitude to have changed, your mindset to have been changed and brought into alignment according to God's word. The festivals were done that we might know the true desire of the Father towards us. And the Feast of Tabernacles is that he desires to dwell among us. It's his invitation to come. It's his invitation And we accept that right now. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ in your life, you've never surrendered your life to Christ, the Bible says you must believe, first of all, that He is the Son of God, that He was born of a virgin. He lived a life that was without sin. He was crucified on a cross, buried in a tomb, and raised from the dead after three days. And the Bible says if you believe this in your heart, and speak it with your mouth that what the heart believes, you shall be saved. You say, saved from what? Saved from the penalty of your sin, because Christ already paid for that price, uh, for that thing on the cross. If you believe that, and you've never accepted Christ, I want you to pray with me right now. Dear God in heaven, I acknowledge I am a sinner. I have fallen short of your standards and condemned from my sins. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, that you lived without sin. You paid the price on the cross for my sins. And you rose from the dead. That when I confess you, As my Savior, my sins are forgiven and I am raised out of deadness of life to a new life in you. Come into my life from this day forward. I pray in Jesus' name. And then Holy Spirit, I just pray right now. For each person who may have prayed and surrendered their life to you, that God let them know that you have come in to dwell and tabernacle with them. They are now a part of your family. We pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Isn't it great to know that God is the one who invited us to come and dwell with him. Isn't it? 
You didn't go knocking on the door saying, can I live here? Is it okay if I, you got an extra room for me? No. He invited us in. Amen. Why don't we stand together right now and let's just make a moment of rejoicing. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. He dwells among us. Let us rejoice. No complaining. Rejoice. 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 Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Now, Lord, we just dismiss each and every one. As they leave this place, let the peace of God rest on them. Let the favor of God go before them with every person they come in contact with. For the glory of your name and your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need special prayer for anything, come and we'll pray for you right now. Otherwise, I pray that you come back Wednesday night. God bless you. Looking forward to seeing you.